In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an awesome guest here with me. Eric, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on the show, Pamela. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Today, I'm so psyched to be chatting with you and about your story and what you're up to and all this amazing stuff. So you've got a pretty awesome book, How to Work with Jerks. And I know it's been a long journey since you pretty much wrote it. And the journey that got you there. So what moved you on your path to that book? Because we'll sort of talk today a little bit about where you're at, where you've been and sort of where you're going. So however you want to let us know, I'm down. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show, Pamela. This is great. It's such an honor to, to be with you. I'll just be real. I mean, people have told me that I was, they've referred me to as expert jerk turned jerk expert. And so <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think part of the reason why, I mean, and people that, that that have worked with me have have called me that. And the reason why is because I didn't I wasn't always a jerk, right? Growing up, you know, I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, you know, two amazing parents and they helped cultivate me and they they taught me to be disciplined and work hard and get good grades and that will lead you to you know, the promise land, what you really want. You know what I mean? Like my parents, they worked full time. That's how I learned, right? So I, I took studying and getting good grades very seriously. So, you know, middle school, high school, college, you know, I was all about do, getting good grades and that's what I did, right? And so I had this mindset that getting good grades was going to translate into success. And for the most part, for middle school, high school, and college, you know, I did, you know, I was, you know, I made the Dean's list. I was a part of all these clubs. I did all these kind of things. Right. And then it wasn't until I graduated where the bottom fell out. <laughs> you know, it was just, I got my very first job. Right. And when I got my very first job, I was assigned as a mentor and she was designed to help me get acclimated to the job. Right. And so I didn't see it that way. I didn't see, I saw her, I saw that she was trying to tell me how to do my job. You know, she would say things like, Eric, no, don't do it this way, do it that way, right? No, no, that's not how you get the results you need. You need to do it this way. And so I would, you know, say things like, you know, what do you think you want to talk to me like this? Like, don't you know I, I graduated with honors, all right, from college? You know, I'm, I'm very capable of doing this job. Right. And so, you know, once I, I was pretty frank with her, pretty blunt with her, you know, she did what any other person would have done. Stop working with me. It's all right. You figure it out on your own, right? And she and all my other coworkers at that time, they did the same thing. They just isolated me. They just left me alone. They said, oh, you know, this guy, he's a know-it-all. He's, he's, a, he's a new young kid, thinks he knows what he's doing. And so it wasn't until like this, this winter morning, and it had to be a cold winter morning, right? Cold winter morning. My boss, you know, he summoned me to his office. And so he was saying, you know, look, you know, we hired you out of school. You know, we thought you were going to be a right fit for this job. But, you know, I've seen, you know, the work at your desk and it's like almost as tall as you are. 
You know, like, you're not, what are you doing? You're not getting any work done, right? So he was like, you know, the morale in the office, you know, has pretty much gone downside since you provided. And I'm thinking like, well, is it me? You know, like, like, what did I do? You know, he was pretty upfront with me. Matter of fact, he said, I'm sorry, if you can't turn things around soon, I'm going to have to let you go. And that was like the first time, my very first job, having that kind of conversation with my boss, telling me that I was about to get fired. I knew I had to make some changes, but I didn't know what to do. Right. And so right when I was about to leave, right, I sulked for a while. I'm thinking that he was going to say, it's okay, don't worry about it. I'm just kidding. He said, but wait a second, why don't you take this course to learn a little bit more about emotional intelligence? And I was like, all right, so you, you threatened by firing me for my job, right? You're threatening me on my job. And now you're trying to tell me that my emotions are dumb. What are you talking about, right? Like, what? Like, I don't understand. So let's be real here. He didn't encourage me to take this course. He voluntold me. He, he was as a direct order. And I took this course, and basically it was like an introduction to emotional intelligence. For you or anyone else listening, if you're unfamiliar with it, basically it's the ability to, to you know, really understand what, what drives you and, and what your emotions are and how to keep them in check. And once I did that, I remember sitting in my all-white Pontiac Grand Am one day after I took that course, and I was looking at myself in the rearview mirror, and I was like, holy cow, I had been a jerk. That's how I've been acting. I mean, I realized, like, my behavior in the workplace, I realized how I treated my mentor, you know, my coworkers, just anyone who was at work, I was just short, I was abrasive, I was defensive. And so that was the first time where I realized that where the concept of jerk started kind of resonating. You know, there were like, there were whispers of that, you know, going on in the back of my mind. But it wasn't until I worked with a jerk, a real jerk, on, been on the other end of the spectrum, where that really motivated me to put this book together. And Pam, I'll just quickly just share with you this, this story, you know, about this jerk and why, you know, I think you would probably agree that, yeah, someone's got to do something about it. Yeah. So several years after my situation of being a jerk, I had this other boss, right? Like maybe, I don't know, four or five years after the situation. And I was new to the job and, and my boss at the time, she was really proud of her position. She would always name drop it. She would say, you know, as my as your director, I'm telling you to do this. As your boss, I want you to do it this way. And I was new to the job and my director was telling me to put this report together for some executives coming into town. And she's looking over me, right? She's like telling me what information to put in, what information to take out. And I'm like, all right, do you want to do this? You know, I, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking, right? I wouldn't dare say that to her. And so I came across some information I knew my executives wanted. You know, I knew they just put a memo out the other week and they were like, well, look, we want to know this information. We want to know what about, we want an analysis of this. So I started putting this information in, just took the initiative to start doing it. She looked down, she's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm putting this information in. She goes, no, no, don't do that. All right. I don't want that information in the report. And I said, well, you know, I think we should put it in. You know, the execs wanted it, right? She tapped me on my on my shoulder. She said, look up at me. And I'm looking up. She goes, you work for me. And as your director, I'm telling you to leave it out. And so <laughs> oh I, I was just trying to be a good worker, B-Pam. That's it. You know, so I, I followed orders. I left it out. And then lo and behold, these executives, they came in, in to visit for their quarterly visit. And she and those three direct, those three executives were in the executive office and they were going through the report. And I'm busy at my desk, minding my own business, all right? And I get a call and it's my director on the phone. And she's like, Eric, I'd like you to come in to this executive conference suite. You know, we want to talk about this report. 
So I said, oh, maybe they're, you know, pretty happy about what I put together. You know, after all, I worked, that was my best work under pressure with my boss breathing down my neck. Yep. So I walked in there, didn't even barely step a foot in there. I just kind of like opened the door. I was about to go in there. And she goes, Eric, our execs are wondering where this specific information is in this report. It's not in there. I want you to go back to your desk and put that information in and don't come back until it's done. Are we clear? Oh my God. Just like your mouth just dropped that, my jaw dropped just like that. I mean, I stood there frozen like, are you serious? I had no idea what to say. I froze. I mean, I had all these feelings in my mind, like, you know, how dare she betray me? How dare she embarrass me? You know, how dare she throw me under the bus like this? I just had all these emotions and I, I don't know, I just froze. And at that moment, I said, I, I can't be this work environment anymore. So I faced two options. I was like, either going to quit or I was going to get fired because I wasn't going to work for someone like that. And I realized that this is, you know, no matter how smart and talented anyone can be, if you work in that kind of environment, I mean, how successful are you really going to be? And that right there really was the driving factor with inspiring me to write the book. I mean, besides my wife who kept telling me, you know, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about this, you know, and I was like, you know what? I should, but I, you know, that was just my story. But I started talking to all types of people, coworkers and colleagues and, you know, people in coffee shops, you know, and they were telling me all their stories dealing with people. And so I took all that information and it just really inspired me to put down, put a guide for people who have been in position just like me or other people that, you know, just have difficulty getting along with people that you just can't stand or just people who have different personalities. So you know, that's, that's really what inspired me to do it. That's amazing. Well, not the situation, but the fact <laughs> that you wrote it, I'm just like, wow. So you said quite a few things that were really interesting to me. It's like, because I was the same way in middle school, high school and college, right? Where you get the good grades, right? Like you're taught the system, like, oh, just be great at this. And then it translates into success, which is so not the case. There is so much out there that defines success than anything else like grades are nothing pretty much out in the real right. world workforce now it's nothing what matters now is like how effectively can you communicate emotional intelligence ties into that directly all of this is so intercorrelated to success the most successful leaders in the world are the most successful communicators so it's like you can sit there and have the best grades in the entire planet if you don't know how to communicate or be a team player right you're dead in the workforce especially right. now you know, when we're on a global platform. So I find that so interesting that you had mentioned that because it blows my mind, blows my mind. We live in the number one country in the world, right? How do you not teach emotional intelligence? <laughs> How and why, right? Because it's like, if you're not, I mean, this, this is what I think it's, it's like a, I think the real pandemic here is like the lack of emotional intelligence that's taught in our school systems, to be completely honest when you're not aware that you're reacting right so like throughout your journey you were talking about how you were abrasive and you were like all of these things you were a jerk right because you were taught to never really be aware of your emotions and when you become aware of them then you can control how you react to them through process and and you know training and all that stuff but it's like it just blows my mind because that's what happens in our society these days too and it's just an observation that i'm making 
it's just like it's unbelievable because you look yeah. at the suicide and depression rates in this country right and how many people aren't really aware of their emotions and they are out there just reacting to life and reacting to life and they're getting the same result and that's what causes unhappiness but when you're emotionally intelligent you train yourself you know, like there's so many more options. So I just, I just find it fascinating that you said that. And, and I'm so glad that you became aware of it because it turned everything around for you, you know? So yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I just, if I could just add one more thing, like things really came full circle once I had my two kids, like my daughter, she's four, right? And she's learning to express herself. And, you know, when she's upset and, or, and learning how to explain what makes her upset and, and being able to say those things. And sometimes when I'm like talking to her and she's expressing herself, I'm like, what happened? Like, like what happened to me? Like, I know I, I probably learned that same stuff when I was like her age, right? And then when you're in the workplace, it's like, I don't know, like, like maybe you're just too focused on getting the good grade and you lose sight of, being aware of your emotions and how to express yourself and how to manage those things that, you know, you, it was just a humble start to the real world for me. It really was. And you said it, that was the best way that I've heard it. You know, you really crystallize it. When you're in school, you know, grades, all those things don't matter. I mean, if I pulled out my, you know, my report card from high school or college or anything like that, that stuff doesn't apply today. You know, if I'm talking to any of the people that I like to help, you know, work with jerks, say, hey, look, you know, I got an A in, in biology, you know, this is what really sets me apart. Like, that's not relevant, you know? And so I, how, why emotional intelligence isn't taught earlier, that's one of the things that really drive me, you know, to help um, do, you know, and that's what I'm doing right now. I've actually taken a pivot in my career to working with corporations and, and C-suite executives to focusing on the higher education because they need that those kind of social skills, those interpersonal skills, that emotional intelligence, because they need to know the things that I didn't know growing up in school. You know, it's not always about the grades. It's how you can communicate. It's how you can bounce back from rejection and build resilience, you know, and that's kind of a lot of the things that's kind of driven me to make that pivot to work with higher ed to help them you know, and, and it keep them from doing the, making those mistakes that I did and help to prepare them for the real world. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotional intelligence is such an important, oh my God, it's so critical in skill sets to succeed. But truly, yeah. I mean, because you got a force, full circle when you worked for your boss. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Breathing down your neck and then the audacity to tell you why'd you leave that out? Right. Like, that's like a narcissist in like a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. like the narcissists are the ones that cannot accept mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, she's just projecting that to you. So I find it so interesting that you experienced sort of both ends of it. You were aware that you were one and then it sort of came full circle. That's so interesting. And I, and I know, I mean, I can tell you, I have so many friends and colleagues and family who connect and tell me all the time like I can't stand my boss <laughs> or like <laughs> my colleague or my and so like recently I think it was last week actually I had a family member reach out and I was like you know what I have a friend who has a book and it's called how to work with I <laughs> <laughs> she might have gone to your profile or something but I need to follow up with her but in all seriousness you know, it's like if you're brand new right you're just coming yeah. out of college and like this is right. all new stuff right like you have so like, that's another thing. There's so many group dynamics. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So and like so many different patterns of communication throughout organizations. And like, it's so critical to the organization's success because if it's, if the employees are not feeling empowered, then how on earth is the organization going to do well? So it all like comes like a domino effect. So I think what you're preaching is a thousand percent, like what needs to happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so now I got to ask you now that you, you know, you've kind of went on that path what did you want to be when you grew up for me I wanted to be a singer clearly did not happen it shouldn't (laughs) but it really shouldn't but it was funny because in my career right like I went to college and I had the same exact persona as you I was going to graduate I was going to have a full-time job when I graduated and then you start a business down the line like that was my plan and then everything went to hell my junior year because of internships that I did so okay so I'm interested to hear sort of like what was your plan sort of prior prior to like graduating college like what was your dream of what you were going to become yeah so since I was a boy since I was I don't know like seven or eight years old I always wanted to be a lawyer Mm. always wanted to and I think I was just always like captivated by you know those lawyer shows when they're in suspense you know, and, and, and they find, you know, the person who's guilty or something, you know, at the very end and everyone just turns around and like the lawyer just saves the day and they're just working their magic in the courtroom. And for some reason, I was like, that's got to be me. That's me. And throughout my whole life, right, throughout my whole life growing up, that was what I was going to do. Like when I was every time, you know, I got a good grade on in high school, I was like, yep, that's one step closer to getting to that school. So that way I can, you know, get into grad school, get to law school, you know. Everything was just centered around that. And then when I got to college, I mean, it was still, that was still part of the plan, but that passion, this is hindsight, by the way, hindsight, um, that passion just really wasn't there. And I, I had other ideas, you know, I thought about, you know, just my own other things, you know, I wasn't, I guess I was busy partying, you know, I was, you know, a social butterfly. And then I was like, you know, wouldn't it be great to just, party all day and just have enough money to just do whatever you want to do you know and I was like that's what I need to do I need to work on something where I can get quick buck not have to work that much and still be able to do all the things that I really want to do and I was like you know what maybe law school is the thing so let me try it right so let me tell you something so I I took the the LSATs right I was beyond mediocre I was I don't even know what my score was but I took it a couple times and it was awful I mean, it was awful. I was like, you know what? It's okay. I got this. I got this warm smile. I got this killer smile. <laughs> These law schools will, they'll know what's up, right? They'll know what's up. They, they'll, they'll look at me. They'll, they'll, they'll compare it with my grades. All that'll work out. I applied to 19 schools and got rejected by all of them. No way. All of them. All of them. All of them rejected me. Every single last one of them rejected me. It was the hardest thing that I had to come to terms with. I mean, it, to me, it was just like, imagine, you know, for 15 plus years, you know, you're supposed to go one route, mm. right? And then it's time to, you know, not, now you've got this one more step to do it and it just crumbles right before you. And you know what? All I had was myself to blame. That's mm. it, that's it. I mean, like I said, I told you, hindsight was 2020, right? Right. Looking back at it, I knew I, I that's not what I wanted. I just thought it was, I had my practical standpoint that it was just part of the plan. And because 
of that, I took I took it for granted. I did not put in the effort to study as, as well as I should have. I definitely didn't do that. Mm. You know, I, I didn't I didn't invest in it. And I got what I deserved. I'm honestly, you know, this is me really coming to terms with it, right? It took me some time to do that. And coming to terms with it, I'm telling you is that I got what I deserved. I didn't put in for it. I didn't put in the effort for it. But the realization, that harsh reality made me have to maybe think, what the hell am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do now? My plans are shot, right? I'm not gonna get into law school. I took the LSAS twice, bombed, got rejected by 19 schools. So where's my life gonna leave me? I don't have any money, right? So I really had to dig deep and figure out like what it is that I really liked. And part of it I talked about, you know, in the beginning where I took those other, you know, failures where I almost got fired from my job and and how I worked with a jerk, those things kind of all just, they were all in the back of my mind. They were all pieces of a puzzle. And I was like, even thinking about going to law school, about how I loved how the, the lawyer was just, talking to people and, and changing everyone's point of view and, and winning the case, you know, all those things kind of, you know, led me down a path to, at its essence, just help people. But it wasn't law school, though. It definitely wasn't law school. That's so interesting that you pivoted that way. So how long ago was that, that you had tried for law school? So this was after, so after I graduated from college, I got that first job that I talked about. Yep. Yep. Or I almost got fired. And then that was me take out my plan was I was going to take a year off from going to school. I was going to work at that job um, for a year. And then um, I was going to put in for law school during that time, you know, after that year. And then that's what I was going to do. So this was, I don't want to date myself, but over 20 years ago, you know, th this, th this, this was a while, this was a long time ago. So in my early twenties, I faced that pivotal point where it's like, who are you going to be? What are you supposed to be? Whatever I'm supposed to be is definitely got to be what I want to be, you know? And at that moment, it was what I was supposed to be wasn't what I wanted to be mm. at all. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a lawyer. It wasn't being a lawyer. But the painstaking thing was that I knew I was going to disappoint my parents because they saw me being a lawyer, you know? And, and once I told them the results, you know, it took me some time, but it was just like, I don't want to disappoint my parents. You know, they, they really they really saw me as that kind of person, you know, and it's funny when you grow up, the pressure just magnified more because now you have to really figure out what you want to do, you know, and once I went that route and I hit that wall, like I really had to think it took me some time. It really did. That happens a lot to a lot of people when they graduate college. Right? Like I was explaining for me, like I had an internship. I thought I was going to work at this place when I graduated. And this was my junior year, spring semester of junior year. I walked into my supervisor's office, right? And she goes, Pam, here's your grade. She like slipped me the paper. Here's your grade for the semester. And it's like, when you do a spring semester for college, if you've been there every day and you've done the work, like you automatically expect an A, like what kind of bull is that? Like, right. you know, she slips me. She's like, oh, it's a B minus. So I was like, what? And she was like, you were just too ambitious. You know, you'd finish things and then you'd come up and ask for more stuff. I was like, wow. Like, I'm, I'm literally reading her and I'm like, she's like, you spoke at conferences that you weren't supposed to. I was like, nobody was participating. So what is right. it? It's like, I can't just be in a room with a thought and just not say anything. I have right. I can't do that. I can't sit still, <laughs> you know, like, right, right, right. And she's like, didn't care. And I was just like, I walked out of that office and like, for like, four minutes, I had this 
feeling of rejection, like oh, my whole life went <laughs> sideways. And then I was like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm going to serve myself well, like having my own businesses. Called up my parents, walked oh. out. And I was like, you know what, mom, dad, just letting you know right now, I'm not working for anybody when I graduate next year. And sure. uh, I'm going to work for myself. I have no idea what type of business I'm starting, nor do I care. I just know I'm starting one. Just letting you know. Okay. Right. But my right. mom's like, what? <laughs> so oh, really? much, like, much like your parents is my parents were entrepreneurs so like okay they had their own businesses and everything and they're like Pam you can't do that you know we don't want you to struggle the way we have like working all these hours like we don't want that for you we want you to be secure and have a paycheck but I was like I don't care I was like this is prison I was like, I'm not <laughs> I was like these cubicles are prison I'm tired of supervisors yes. I don't like yes. stuff you know so it, it's interesting, like how like the rejection can like motivate you or redirect you. So I'm interested right. to know, like for you, what sort of helped you pass that? Because it seemed like a lifelong goal for you, you know. So like, how are you able to sort of move move past that and kind of pivot? So after I got rejected from from those 19 schools, I stayed at the same job, and I had to reset. I had to figure out what it is that I wanted to do, and I was like, I, you know, I saw my parents work. And they worked for, I don't know, 30, 40 plus years. And I was like, after all the experiences that I had in my like teens and, and 20s, I was like, no, 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 no. That 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 can't be me. You know, if it's not gonna be law school, it's gotta be something else. It's gotta be something else. So I started once I had these experiences, right? Of, of working with a jerk, you know, and hearing other people hear the, um their experiences, I said, you know what? What if I was able to help people, you know, who were just like me? You know, maybe that's that's a way of giving back to other people, you know, because I've seen how frustrated people are. I I, I know people who scored like a perfect on their SATs, right? And they can't even keep a job for like a year. You know, I know people who work their butts off to get like their PMP or any um, special certifications. They end up quitting a job because they can't stand the people that they work with or, or they work for. And I said, you know, how much of a cost is that to, you know, the organization and to the person? And so I ran some of the numbers and I, I looked at like engagement and stuff like that, the level of engagement. I mean, it costs corporations almost, you know, half a trillion dollars in productivity, you know, because people are disengaged. They don't want to work for somebody and they don't have any outlet. So they just sit there and do the bare minimum, right? Say that again, half a trillion? A trillion dollars. What? Yeah. And don't take my word for it. That's according to like a Gallup poll that I um, that I researched not too long ago. Half, Almost a half a trillion dollars. Oh and so, God. but you know what's even worse than that though? I mean, it's the people, it's actually the people, not the organizations to me. You know, it's the people that, that set out to do something good or to do something worth a damn, you know? And they just end up going someplace else because they can't take those situations. So I said, you know what? What if I can, you know, help people? There's a fine line between if someone's acting like a real jerk, you know, if they're a narcissist, if they're doing something completely flagrant and that work environment isn't for you, then you shouldn't work there. But what are you going to do to that same, what is that same person going to do if they can't find that other job, right? That, that other, that plan B. So I said, well, look, let me create a roadmap to help people manage the situation that they're in and either one or two things are going to happen either they're going to be able to manage it so well that they're going to be able to say you know what i can deal with this and you know what i can move on and, and i can work with this situation because it's not going to be too much longer 
Or, you know, what they'll do is they may use that same skill set and do something completely different. Because let's be real, just because you leave one job because someone's acting like a jerk, doesn't mean that the next place isn't going to have the same jerk. Like you could run into some another situation. What are you going to do then? You, you can't just keep running. You can't just keep leaving places. You have to learn how to manage the situation. So I said, you know what? Once I thought about that, I said, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to help people work with jerks. This is what I, I think it's, I think it's so undervalued. And you know, you hear all this stuff like conflict management training and how to get along with people. And it's like, it's, that's not what people are thinking. That's not what people are saying. It's like, how can I get along with this? You know what? Yeah. Right. And for, for the underdog show, let's call them jerks, right? Let's call these people jerks. And so I, I just think it's a lifeline to so many people who are in need, especially right now, you know, especially right now. Seriously. So on that note, like what would be your number one tip? Because I know for sure right now, because of COVID and the job scarcity situation, yeah. and layoffs are happening. This is becoming more and more prominent because they don't have that plan B. Right. You know what I mean? They have to stick to that situation until things get better. So it's like, what would be your best advice to like work with a jerk who's like stuck right now? You know, you know what? I mean, there's so many different things that people recommend, you know, and I like to just keep it simple. I really do. Right. And at the end of the day, I say, look, you do three things. If there's anything that you can do, do these three things. The first thing is if you're in conflict with someone or if you're dealing with someone who has a difficult personality, a narcissist, a micromanager, whether you're late to get into work because you're stuck in traffic or you've got too many meetings, you know, you really feel stressed out and and you have to do something, you have to respond or react to somebody in, a, in that situation. I just recommend doing three things. Yeah. The first thing is assess. Assess your situation, right? What are you feeling at this moment? So I may say, you know what? I'm feeling stressed the you know what out right now because this person keeps you know, asking me about what's going on with this certain project, all right? And I don't have an answer right now. That's stressing me out. And why is it stressing me out? Well, because I'm hammering my keys down, my mouth is dry and I'm a, I get nervous. So when I'm about to you know, say something I'm gonna regret, so I start stuttering and my mouth is dry. So that's an indication that, yeah, I've reached that level. So once you assess that situation and then you analyze it. So what's making you feel this way? Well, my, my freaking boss here keeps asking me about the situation, all right? That's why I'm stressed. So now I've associated what I'm feeling with why I'm feeling that way. So the situation with you know, what my body's responding. So once I'm able to associate those two things, then I recommend that person do, do the third thing. Now that you understand what to, you know, what's going on and why you're feeling that way, then you can sit over there and respond most appropriately to keep you from making a knee-jerk reaction. So instead of um, being short to someone in a response, to, you know, like, hey, what's going on with those TPS reports? You know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Office Space. You know, someone, someone says, oh, what's going on with those TPS reports? Instead of someone asking you about that for the millionth time, you know, instead of, you know, responding short or abrasive to the person, like, hey, will you back off? Why don't you just say, you know what, I'll get back to you or, or thanks for asking about it. Why don't we set some time aside? It buys you some time and it keeps you from making that knee-jerk reaction because one of the biggest things I've regretted, right, is either at the end of the day or that weekend, telling somebody was really on my mind, acting, you know, digging some kind of knee-jerk response. And then I got to stew the whole weekend or the whole day thinking about how I responded to that person, what this person may think of me and how it's going to affect our relationship moving forward 
it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So it's like, take those three steps and then it take, gets you one step closer to managing that relationship. Because to me, at the end of the day, it's about managing relationships. It's not just, you know, acting fake or anything like that. It's doing what's best to preserve the relationship so that way you can get exactly what you need out of that situation. And if it's not worth fighting, you know, if that's not the hill worth battling on, then it's not worth the response that you're going to share, you know, that that impulsive response. So just take a three-step process, assess the situation, analyze the situation, and then act. Those three things. That's what I recommend. Right. It's not worth expelling your energy over somebody who is set in their ways, does what they need to do. And the thing that I've found of like working with interesting people (laughs) or like, you know, anyone you come across in business, like you just show them love, right? Like if you're really kind to them, right? why would they bother you? And when I see somebody who's being a pain in the butt, I kind Mm -hmm. of stroke their ego a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I really like your outfit. That's really nice. Like, hey, would you mind helping me with this? And then they're like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And then people are like, how'd you do that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kind. You know, you just never know. Cause at the end of the day, right? You don't know what that jerk is going through at home or don't. Life, or what, or this or that. And it's like, when you can understand that, like, maybe it's not you. Maybe you're the one who's being projectile vomited on because of their insecurities, right? Right. But, that's what it is at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And it's like, if you can do that, like you'll mm-hmm. be able to manage anybody out there. You are so right. And I tell people time and time again, they're, they're like, well, how can I get this person to stop being a jerk, right? How can I get this person to stop acting this way to me? Well, that's where we hit that wall because we always think that we can control somebody else and somebody else's response. And you can't do that. The only thing that you really can control is how you respond. You can control your own behavior. And if you do that and practice that self-care, then you're going to be more focused, less stressed. And, you know, that person, you just disarmed that jerk. You just, just like you said, kill them with kindness. You just disarmed them. That's what I recommend. You said it greatly. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. It looks like we might have to have some uh, keynotes together. Hey, Hey, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) that's amazing and i love that you've helped people through this journey but it blows my mind on the productivity that you were saying for companies and all that i mean it's just the world in general like i mean if people learned what you're preaching that the world would be a better place because it just it starts with one act of kindness and it kind of just keeps going that's amazing so what's next for you like what's what's on the horizon you know i know covid's been a little bit interesting and you do keynotes and lots of awesome things and in-person workshops and things like that so what's what's sort of coming up next yeah that's a great question so throughout all of covid like everyone we've all adapted and pivoted i know people are getting tired of the word pivot but a lot of my my workshops my programs are, have been converted to you know virtual i'm actually doing a couple things though in the pipeline i'm working on my second book which is right now i'm still playing around with the title but it's going to be something to the effect of how to create a jerk free environment and that's going to that's tailored towards organizational culture and how to really build from the bottom up and and that's why i've invested heavily on working with higher ed because i think once they go into the into the workplace if you can have strong emotionally intelligent workers you know that helps create that jerk free environment because then they can work they they will demonstrate that they can work with any kind of jerk any kind of leader who's acting however it is that they want to act 
once you do that, now they've got another skill set that makes them more marketable. So that's part of it. I want to I want to do that second book. I'm working on on the manuscript now. The other thing I'm working on is coming up with a with a, a course, an online course, to help not just higher ed but other folks who are in who are in the workplace develop their social skills, right? Because let's face it. Look, you know we're you know we can see each other through the Zoom call and everything, but a lot of us, you know, we just do it by talk on the phone, and we've been social distancing, right? So those social skills gonna, are going to need to get brushed up on, right? People are going to need to know how to say, hi, Pam, my name is Eric. How are you? you know, we're going to need to kind of re-familiarize ourselves with that. You're right. And, and, and so that people can actually come and give you a hug and they're not like... <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I forget about COVID sometimes and I like go to somebody like to hug them and they're just like... And then the worst part is when you see somebody sneeze in public and it just like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole room clears. So it's so funny. That's actually a great thing that you're you're like, all right, so we're back to humanity now. You're like, we're turning into cave people, staying inside. So now it's like, let's get back to business, right? Right. That's awesome. Right. I think people are going to need to know that. And, you know, I'm going to continue to work in, in higher ed. So, you know, those are just a few things that I'm, that I'm working on, you know, that online courses, my next book, and continue to just spread the message about how to work with jerks. You know, because I just think it's something that, you know, even before COVID, even before, you know, the social unrest, all the things that we've been experiencing um, this year, it's been, you know, one crazy year, but people have had issues interacting with people well before this. So I think just people need to continue to have those tools. And I want to make it readily available for people who need it the most. So I'm just, you know, really trying to expand and do that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, now I got to ask you, one of the most important questions is what would your older self tell your younger self? That's such a great question. I think my older self would tell my younger self that don't take yourself too seriously. Life has many different, you know, ways to go. You know, you've had your own journey, right? It wasn't a straight line. I thought I had a straight line, you know, and I invested so much on it. And I think if I didn't take myself too seriously back then, I think I'd probably would have been, you know, like you, an entrepreneur at an earlier age, I probably would have looked at college that whole route differently because to me, it's like entrepreneurship. I found that out at a later age in life. And I think that that's such, such a great thing that you, me, just all types of entrepreneurs, something that I want my kids to learn how to do at an early age. It's so key. And I think that if you don't take yourself seriously, that too seriously, you'll be able to be aware of all the opportunities that life can present. Amen to that. My last question for you, which is what is your number one piece of advice? Something that like motivates you. It could be anything in your life that you kind of live by that you would advise to sort of anyone. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I would say this, it doesn't matter, you know, how, how smart or talented or, or gifted you are or your experience or the role that you have. I think that success in the workplace or success in general is about building relationships. So the more effort that you work on building relationships with anyone, whether it's a family member, whether it's a colleague, whether it's your neighbor, doesn't matter. I think the better you will be, I think the better, and I hate to sound so cliche, you know, but I think the better off we will all be is if you're able to manage relationships. Not to say that you have to play nice in the sandbox with people, 
or just, you know, you know, just huddle around and, and everyone's smiling. But if you're able to manage relationships and build those relationships, I think you're going to get more out of life than just, you know, just treating the person for who you think that they are. So I think it's all about managing relationships and just make an effort or just managing relationships and getting to know the person. So that way, you know, a little bit more about yourself and how you and who you are and what you have to bring to the world as well. You're amazing. Now everyone's got to know where to find you and find your book. Yeah, sure. So, so people can find me. Uh, I'm on everyone's social media. All I have to do is just find Eric Williamson. But my website is tailoredtrainingsolutions.com. My book, How to Work with Jerks, can be found on Amazon. I also gift these out, do signed copies, for the, especially for the holidays. So if people are, this is a great gift for people. I'm more than willing to provide signed copies for people. So they could just, you know, contact my, go to my website at tailoredtrainingsolution.com. They can get my contact information from there and I'll be able to sign and, and, and mail it off. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. I know everyone will come and check out the book and check you out and all the awesomeness that you've got. And you've also got your show too. Your podcast. Yes. Show. Yeah. 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 The power up show. Yeah. It's called maximize your potential. And I have a co-host. Her name is Cheryl Mays. And we started this a few months back. Matter of fact, we provide tools to help professionals and entrepreneurs power up, especially during this time of disruption. So we have all types of people on there um, from coaches, from really successful entrepreneurs, all types of business leaders, anyone who's got a different slant on what it takes to power up and maximize their potential. There we go. I love it. Eric, thank you so much for being here today. You've dropped so many amazing pieces of advice and I love your story and your hustle. So thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode.